0: Hi, everyone. Welcome. I feel like we're at Readings Carlton, but somewhere much better still. This is fabulous. Um, So good to see so many people at this special Blarney Books um, literary event with a fascinating (laughs) person. And we're going to be talking in a minute about Philomena Manifold's brilliant book, which I have just seen for the first time so, there's lots that you can say. We're all in the same position. Um, well, Welcome, Philomena. Uh, I, I, I'm Kate Donnellan. I'm a, just helping out with the Q&A. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about Philomena and she can then correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Philomena Manifold graduated in 2007 with a Bachelor of Arts ...and a Bachelor of Science majoring in Geology. She also studied Landscape Architecture... ...and has a Diploma of Creative Writing from the University of Melbourne. She's now a full-time author, designer and educator. Science educator, I would assume. Yes. Um, In her work, she explores creative ways to communicate about the natural world... ...bringing together the, the disciplines of science, di- geology particularly, and the creative arts... ...using the skills of, or the, the forms, the genres, I suppose, of creative nonfiction, ...design and embodiment practices, which I'd love you to talk about in soon. She is a writer, illustrator and explorer of wild places... She's deeply interested in how people connect to landscape and to place. Um, Now, Philomena's spent nine years living between Melbourne and the southwest Victorian coast photographing, researching, writing and sketching the coastline from Torquay to Warrnambool and the result is this beautiful book. Um, And it's a book... ...that explores, what it says it does, the geolo- geological stories of the region. A 95 million year journey from Gondwana to Australia. And the final interesting point is the project was funded... ...the project that enabled the research and the book to eventuate... ...funded by a $20,000 possible campaign, which is also very interesting. So, am I basically right with all that, Philomena?
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: What I'd like to start by asking you is what's your attraction and interest in the southwest coast, this particular coastline?
1: Mm. Uh, So I'm just getting used to microphones, um, where you you hold them. Uh, So I grew up in Camperdown and then spent a lot of time down in Lawn and along the Great Ocean Road... And so I think growing up in a place just gives you a a certain level of connection and just the sheer beauty of the Great Ocean Road. And then the geology, it kind of all came together. It felt like a really natural place that I wanted to explain the way a geologist looks at the land. Um, The the Great Ocean Road just was like it had everything.
0: Yeah, that make, makes sense. Um, and you said you really wanted to find a way to explain geological concepts and facts um, to communicate that. And one of, I, I assume, coming out of your Melbourne University studies and your thinking and work, one of the one of the most important things is that we find new ways to for people to be able to access and understand scientific concepts and particularly the natural environment that we're all so interested in, in a way that yeah, speaks to people beyond just a series of, of facts and, and data. So could you talk about why you, you know, ways in which you... Um, oh, I suppose your philosophy of that and ways in which you approach that task of communicating understa- scientific understandings?
1: Uh, so I was terrible at science. Uh, at school, I think I failed Year Eight science. If you can fail it, I don't know. I can't remember, but um, but I I was really determined to do environmental science when I got to uni, and so I just through sheer force of will got myself through mathematics and chemistry and all these things. And um, it's it's not really my natural flair. Like the creative side is where I feel at ease, and then kind of coming across geology was this, this kind of, it's it's a science, but it's also got so much story to it, so much process. Um, It's very tactile and, um, yeah, sensory. And so I think I I came across geology and I realised that if it was packaged in a certain way, everyone would go, wow, that's amazing. But it's, it's, Sometimes the language of science doesn't kind of enter into everyone. It's not as accessible. Like, it can kind of just go over the top of people's heads. And I just thought to myself, oh, if I can just find a language for this, if I can even just visually, like, you can communicate so much through a photo um, that people will, will kind of have access to this kind of way of seeing and understanding landscape that is is quite... Rare, I think we don't we don't have access to it so much. Hmm. S- so
0: the languages you use then were the visual, the, the stunning photographs and the textures that come out through the photographs, even from my skimming, but also uh, written language, the the storytelling. Um, what. What were you trying, you know what are some of your aims of of the project and of the book? Um, what were you trying to do fundamentally? You probably had to write that for your possible yeah. project
1: application yeah. <laughs> proposal. First, theres one thing that just popped into my mind was that the first draft of the book I gave to uh, it was either my mum or a friend. And and they kind of read through it and they're like, mm, it's good, it's good, but I actually don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it, the mum test, the the like the jargon, like the language of science. You kind of when you're immersed in it, you don't realize that there's so much jargon. And so to kind of kind of massage out all of that took I don't know how many drafts, fifty more. Um, so that was a real process of kind of finding a way. And I, I was very optimistic. I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. <laughs> mm.
0: Okay, so in a moment I'm going to ask you if you don't mind to um, chunk it up a bit and talk mm-hmm. to us about um, four different coast areas of the coast. Did you divide it in about four sections or am I wrong there? Uh, three. Three. Three three sections um, and yep. some of the discoveries you made. But uh, just back to your point about the language of science isn't always accessible. When you tried your manuscript out on your friend or your mum, was it did you find that the visual language of the, the photographic work communicated um, more easily than your written text or
1: was it about matching the two? Uh, eventually yes but for a really long time I kind of I had it as a word document and then and just a whole bunch of photos and it was actually quite a difficult thing to construct a visual book I mean I didn't I was kind of winging it I didn't have any kind of like this is how you make a photography nonfiction book and so it was a, quite a challenge like taking a little... Um, ...what are they called, little tiny photos, like putting them in... ...and and trying to match the kind of big story of the text... ...the detail of what I'm talking about, the photos that I had... ...and then the aesthetics, like, oh, this photo actually looks really good here... ...and this, it needs to be this big and and it was a bit like a Rubik's Cube... ...or a Tetris game, just trying to put them all together and... um, Eventually I came across a program called Blurb... ...which uh, is a f- was a free program you could download from the internet. And it was a, a kind of desktop basic publishing program. And I could drop the text in, drop the photos in and see it all as it's gonna... ...and that, that really transformed the process of writing. Because I was like, ah, oh, photo, text and I could move it around in real time. Hmm. So you didn't have a, a book
0: designer, you did that job. So it really was your role to look after, as you said, the aesthetics as well as the content as well as the the form, the style, every every aspect. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful <laughs> complex but satisfying project, mm-hmm. but long term, mm-hmm. I imagine. Yeah. Um, so could would you mind taking us now through? ...each of the sections of Coastline, in turn, if that's mm-hmm. easy to do... Mm-hmm. Um, ...just to talk about perhaps the particular discoveries or features or themes that relate. Is that, is that helpful or...?
1: Well, we d- it's... Tackle that, it in a different the... way if you'd
0: prefer. So talk about the book in a yeah. comments. <laughs>
1: um, well, I guess one thing that was interesting that I kind of came across by chance... ...through researching the geology and the geological history of the coast... ...was that as you drive from Torquay towards Warnable, ...you actually go back through geological time and then come back up. So it was a circular journey which um, like I was just so excited when I worked that out. I was like, that's amazing. How about that? The, the coast has just done this beautiful tighter ribbon. Like you go from quite recent geological history uh, in Torquay. So it's all kind of uh, limestones and oceanic kind of rocks. And then as Australia kind of comes back down to join with Antarctica, you're literally, as you track um, west along the coast, like towards Warrnambool, um, that is literally going back in geological time until you get to Cape Otway. Um, And the Cape Otway is the oldest rocks that's... 135 million year old uh, rocks from when Australia and Antarctica were still joined and it was a a giant rift valley. And then heading towards Port Campbell, you're coming back up through geological time. And so it it was just this beautiful kind of um, a way to structure the book, like being able to go from this point to this point and and having that circular journey. Mm. And...
0: Did you have any input from um, Indigenous people and other people who live and and do connect deeply with the landscape in these
1: various places? Or, yeah, was that possible? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I spoke to a lot of different people and had, um, yeah, really generous support of people just coming up with their kind of little anecdotes or experiences or going on walks with people... Um, it was, yeah, definitely. I mean, a, the book was not just me. It was created with others. Mm.
0: Was your interest in um, the sort of the textures, the the, de- the fine detail, and representing that, was that because you because th- you took a photograph and it you went, oh, that's amazing, the patterns or shapes, you know, in an aesthetic sense, or was it always driven by ...your interest in the
1: geological story? Aesthetics. (laughs) (laughs) I just am just so blown away by the colours and textures and patterns. It was pretty much almost always aesthetics... ...and then it was just this curiosity of like, why? Why? Why is that? Like, why is there this kind of strange coloured kind of curve here? Or I kind of... um, for me that, that was kind of how the, the photography in the book formed was just that there are these quite remarkable patterns and formations that I can stumble across. And even as someone who's studied geology, I can still kind of look at it and go, I have no idea, but someone will know. Like there will be some study or some paper that has gone into the minute details of how this happened and how amazing that I can find that out. And you did find out? Were all your questions answered or you... Uh, pretty much, it's... pretty much. The tafoni weathering or honeycomb weathering, which is all through the Otways, uh, is kind of not totally worked out yet. Were, I kind of speak to different geologists and they're like, well, it could be this or it could be that. It's a, There's still mystery, which is kind of, yeah... Like science doesn't have everything nailed. Yeah. Which we kind of know that, but it's also even even to just like certain processes in the landscape, it's still mysterious.
0: Um, in a little, little while, about ten minutes, I'll be giving everyone, all of you, a chance to ask some questions from your different standpoints and knowledge. So just be <laughs> think of some good questions and points. I'm interested in um, your process of – you. you sit, I s- assume you sort of went to a place and camped, is that right? Or stayed in particular spots to get – just to feel and be in the country as well as doing the – is that right? Or um, am I making assumption there?
1: No, I didn't camp, but I did spend a lot of time. Like a lot of time. Um, and I think also that the fact that I knew the coast from having grown up along it. So um, if, if you kind of pay a little attention to the, the, the book, <laughs> it becomes clear that the first half is quite rich with information and, and, and as I get to Warnable, there's less spots and I think that's <laughs> a little because I don't know this end of the coast as well. Um, and I still... You know, I, I detailed kind of more the geological interest points, but I didn't have that kind of oh, I've been walking along this beach since I was a kid knowledge, yeah. um, which is kind of yeah interesting. No, I, I, that
0: makes sense too. Um, do you have um, you know any a, a photograph and a little bit of text that you could you wouldn't mind? ...holding up and perhaps do a a short reading from... ...or would it not work that way? You could? Yeah. I think it's always really good to have an example... ...of what um, Philomena's been talking about conceptually. Should have warned her.
1: I'll, I'll go with Point Road Night. Yeah, great. Um, I could pick somewhere down this way. Oh. I'll go with Point Road Night. So, yeah. this um, I actually really love this photo. It was a um, pure chance. I was just down the coast, and there'd been a, a really big storm surge, and the the wild weather in the ocean had just recarved the entire face of this particular rock and these very delicate columns of limestone had formed and so they form by uh, tree roots kind of drawing down mineral-rich cements and then they kind of harden around the tree root and so you get this cast and it almost looks like the Greek islands but it um, was so delicate and it just it disappeared within a week. And um, it's one of my regrets actually not taking photos um, every year of the project. I kind of had this optimism that it would only take me a year, and then, oh, it's only going to take me two years. Okay, it's just, it's going to be a three year project. And it took me nine years in the end. So I would have had this amazing time lapse if I'd kind of taken these photos consecutively. Uh, So I can read this. Point Road night is one of my favourite places to visit along the coast. Hollowed out cliffs with intricate outlines frame the point as if whipped up by an overzealous chef. The cliffs are young, thousands of years old as opposed to millions, deposited during a period of intense weathering when Australia was drier and cooler than it is today. At this time, Global oceans had dropped significantly due to the Pleistocene ice age that locked much of the northern hemisphere under glaciers. Today, these dune limestones are easily eroded. The movement of water through this ridgeline has created calcified molds known as as solution pipes. Travelling down root structures and porous channels, calcium-rich water hardens the surrounding rock delicate columns are often left as distinct casts. Since taking this photo, the columns and turrets have fallen. I have visited this spot a number of times over the years, and every time I find a new silhouette in the headland. Year by year, this dune ridge is eroding and retreating into the ocean as waves and storm cycles take their toll.
0: Thank you, Philomena. that was terrific. Very, very vivid and clear. Um, with, your, with your photography, do you use high-tech <laughs> um,
1: camera phot- photographic equipment or quite simple? Uh, at the beginning it was a little Canon handheld kind of point and shoot and maybe two years into the project I realised I needed to upgrade... And I used a, a digital SLR Canon um, camera, which had a lot more power and uh, capacity to do those kind of micro shots and get the real details, which, which I was really interested in being able to um, capture the fine details and the colour. And um, yeah, I would have loved some amazing lenses. Like there's all these like long... Shots that would have just been incredible, but I didn't have the the gear. It's quite a. There's so many. Um, it's, yeah, there's a lot of gear with photography, so you kind of work with what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
0: my final um, chunky question is about um, the way you funded this project through Possible. Um, can you just explain for people who don't know how you went about that and how? You know how long it took and how effective that is as a to get such an
1: ambitious project underwritten.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, so the there's kind of two separate. Um, there's the kind of writing and the development of the book, which I did just by working lots of different random jobs yeah. for a very long time, <laughs> and then when it came to publishing the book, I uh, approached a few publishers and got lovely rejection letters and had, I, I, th- I really didn't think too much about how I was going to get it published. I just had this burn to do it. I was like, I'm just going to do it and I'll work out that problem when I get to it. <laughs> and by the time that I finished the book, crowdfunding was invented. Uh, it, it didn't exist when I started. And uh, does it, has everyone heard of crowdfunding? I can it's a um, it's kind of a global phenomenon now, but it, it really allows ideas to take form with the support of people who are actually who are interested in what you're creating. And I I thought, oh, I could I could just try crowdfunding this. This could this could work, you know, and it's a real litmus test, because if, you know, people aren't interested in the book they're not going to pledge their support or put down, you know, I think it was $40 for a book. So it was a little bit like pre-ordering. So you could pre-order the book and then taking that money, I was able to then uh, pay for the printing and uh, there's shipping and all the kind of technical stuff around making a book. And, um, yeah, so the crowdfunding went really well, like ridiculously well. I um, was aiming to get 10,000 to be able to print 500 books and the I made $10,000 in a week and I had another three weeks to go and I was like, oh God, I didn't think, <laughs> I wasn't planning for this. And so it, in the end, the, the whole campaign raised 20,000, which allowed me to... Uh, make the book bigger, like physically bigger, and add f- extra sections in, and then also rather than printing five hundred, I could print a thousand. So yeah, it was and so wonderful. How are the sales going? <laughs> <laughs> really good. Yeah, thank you. They're going. Um, uh, I've probably got around five hundred left of the second print run now. Maybe less actually. I need to do. I need to count boxes. ...but uh, so I printed. The first print run was 1,000 and the second print run was 2,000. And so, yeah. And I think it doesn't necessarily,
0: from, from my experience, go um, as well as that. It, it's the art is in, in the way you encapsulate the... ...you write about your, your project in a way that um, excites people. Um, people who want to support it and want to read the, the product. So... Probably some of your skills as a writer mm. came there but but maybe you are at the stage by then where you were really clear about what, mm. what was
1: possible. I think one thing was that I'd already written it, like it wasn't an idea because it, it's so hard to get people to back you when you're like, I've just got this great idea, <laughs> it's going to be wonderful, this is what it's going to be and it's really hard for people to kind of get behind that in a way and I had a one copy printed already as a, a kind of dummy copy and so I could take photos of that and do a video showing the pages. Um I had a I by total chance I met a documentary maker and he happened to be going down the Great Ocean Road and he happened to have all his gear in his car <laughs> and he offered in exchange for a tour of the Great ocean Road to make my crowdfunding video and so the crowdfunding video is pretty important it's like what it, you can say so much through film and so having this very high quality video um, I think made a really big difference to my campaign as well so um, your your sense of your audience um, has
0: that remain consistent now that you're selling very successfully is it, and what was your sense of of your audience or your readership sorry
1: I was really bad at answering this question all like everyone would be like so who's your audience who's your target <laughs> market and i'd be like humans <laughs> <laughs> it's like <the> <laughs> I just i couldn't i was like well i mean everyone's interested in, in the land, in the story of the land and understanding kind of story and place. and um, But there, yeah, there's this real kind of pressure, I guess, or way of um, thinking about projects as like being targeted to a specific group of people. And I, I couldn't really do that. And I found actually that the book is is being received by such varied... ...mix of people. I've got kind of kids at school reading it... ...and um, there's the University of the Third Age. And it's kind of something that I think just speaks to that curiosity... ...that everyone has. Like we all kind of want to know why that is there... ...and the shape of this and the curve of this and just our natural curiosity. Mm. Um, I'll now
0: pass over to people who were sitting here <laughs> patiently listening and enthralled to ask to follow up any areas or to ask Philomena. Richard.
1: Thank you. The um, That was one of my favourite things in studying geology was the number of field trips that we'd go on and that we'd keep these field diaries and that we'd be sketching kind of all the different details of rocks and um, kind of the, yeah, the detail that we'd go into. And um, I remember I'd always do a little bit too much detail. I'd always be like, oh, but there's a nice tree there and some clouds. And my lecturer would be like, that's not the scientific way. (laughs) 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 But I couldn't help myself because it's just, it's the aesthetics of yeah geology is just what's captured me so much. And um, I think so much is translated in through um, sketches and just like little flow diagrams. And yeah, I really enjoyed that part of the book. Mm. Actually, I just, one other thing about those sketches, which is interesting, is that they, when I did them, I wasn't planning on putting them in the book. They were all part of my research. So I have these um, scrapbooks that I created that have just all bits of paper and sketches and diagrams that I, I did to understand the geology for myself because I guess I'm a visual person and so I'd have to read these scientific papers and journals and the only way I could get them into my brain was to do little, bo- little drawings. And then at some point um, I realised I could scan these sketches and then convert them into little um, either black or white ...kind of digital images and then just pop them into the book. And that was just such a great revelation. And I had this idea of doing really perfect, beautiful, specially done drawings. And I realised I've just got all these ones I've already done... ...and they're a bit messy and sketchy and I wasn't planning to show anyone. But there's something a little bit more alive and natural and direct... um, with with those because they weren't in a way designed as a designed kind of low like information, yeah. So that's just the backstory to the sketches. Yes, uh, I'm juggling a few ideas and they're they're well they're kind of like all jostling against each other and I haven't quite worked out which one, but. There's definitely this kind of suggestion of going down the other side of the coast, um, or potentially the Grampians, um, or I would—I was thinking even like some kind of graphic novel for kids, like a kind of geology sketchbook, could be really fun. Um, so, pretty much just, yeah, finding another place that I really want to tell the story of its history, yeah. Mm-mm. Maybe some tours. <laughs> uh, there's a few and I will see if I can remember them correctly. The one that I, the earliest that I heard was about salt spray. So um, salt kind of drying and cracking and dissolving minerals along the coast. But then that kind of falls by the wayside when you find tafoni weathering inland where there's not the salt water. So uh, it's to do with minerals moving through the earth, through the rock, and preferentially finding pathways and hardening certain parts of the rock. So it's kind of like what causes that particular pathway, what causes the very fine, like real-like kind of lines or the, the little honeycomb patches, like... Why is the cementing happening here and not there? Is is still a bit of a mystery. Mm. Oh, many things. I um I first I so I left uni and I, I had this year where I'd I'd actually broken my elbow and had to defer uni. And I so I got a part-time job at the Department of Primary Industries and thought, I'm gonna write this book, it'll take me a year and then I'll get back to uni (laughs) and that didn't happen and I spent a year on the book and I was like well I I can't drop it now I've got to finish it I've put a year's worth of work into it and so then I moved down the coast uh, and lived in Lawn for a few years and just waitressing selling barrels of whiskey uh, working in a bookshop doing just a mix of jobs and and really tracking up and down the coast and taking photos and scrambling down cliffs and and exploring the coast Uh, and then I've kind of done I, I did a landscape architecture I started a landscape architecture masters and haven't finished it so I've kind of been juggling um yeah the creative life and the kind of how to make a living that we all have to do, um, but definitely I've had many moments where I thought writing this book was the worst idea I've ever had, and I've been trying to throw it in the bin, and I've been like, right, okay, I've, I've wasted five years. That's all right. I'm just gonna go and do landscape architecture or something. And it just kept pulling me back. And I I did that first year of my landscape architecture degree, and and I got to the end of it. I'm like. I'm never going to finish that book if I keep doing this. I have to. I just. I'm going to give it one more crack. And so I deferred and put my energy back into this, and and was able to get it over the line. And I think it was the crowdfunding. It it gave me a deadline because I had to get it out to people, and the people that people had actually bought the book. It it had to. It had. It kind of gave me that last little kind of push otherwise I could have just kept kind of rubbing out and moving things across and yeah it was really helpful to have that that deadline. Mm. That that was definitely something I felt quite stubborn about was including the depth of geology like the the real not diluting it down. I, I really wanted to be able to kind of create something that kind of had the same rigor as a kind of scientific paper that uh, kind of but was accessible to people that wasn't something that was locked up in a really complicated language but was really tracking and backed by the science because sometimes um I don't know I think there's a that yeah we don't often get that real generous kind of sharing of knowledge sometimes, maybe. Yeah. And I, re- I really wanted to keep it in there. Um, and and I and it but it was a, a tricky thing to to balance. And when I was writing it, I often would switch between... It was almost like switching hats. I'd be in my geologist hat and I'd be writing like scientific, like language and report and... ...and then I'd write it and then I'd, and then I'd look at it with my creative mind and be like, ugh. And then I'd write the creative piece and then the geologist in me would read it and go, ugh. <laughs> so it was this funny kind of trying to bring these two parts together... ...because um, they felt like very different areas of my my brain. And yeah, they, they, they didn't go like this naturally. But it, it, it was a process of drafts. Yeah. Mm.
0: I'm so happy to hear that comment because I didn't, not having read the book and not being a scientist myself, I, but having huge respect for scientists, I didn't want to push too hard on the geological scientific rigour aspect. That is fantastic. That makes... I'm so happy because it's... And the process you've just described of the two sides of yourself or of your brain. I mean, that is what we need, need to do. And I know from my institution, you know, that is exactly that cross-disciplinary, genuine, bringing together, converging, if you like, but without losing the integrity of both disciplines, both sides, is vital. And we know, you know, with the sort of, I don't know if people agree, but and um, with the sort of decline it seems in sort of public scientific literacy, it's partly isn't it a problem of communication, not dumbing down but communication in ways that do um, speak to our imaginations and our hearts and our mm-hmm. spirit if you like. and um, that that's oh that's my rave for tonight. but I'm so happy to hear that and I'm so impressed. can't wait to read it. We have chance for a couple more. Questions or comments?
1: Uh, actually, the landscape architecture had a, a really big impact on on the book, but for an, a kind of not very glamorous reason, it uh, the f- gave me the f- the skills in design programs. So the first year of landscape architecture was really just being kind of locked to a computer and learning the fundamentals of the Adobe program and InDesign and all these basic design programs that publishers use and landscape architects use and and anyone that has any kind of creative yeah. uh, idea or product that they want to do, they build it in these programs and then they use that to make a book, a magazine, a poster, a, a flyer, a, mm. a movie. And so I, I got these skills and then that gave me the ability to... Create this book at this kind of um, level, I guess, and um, that was a real freedom that landscape architecture gave me. And then uh, the way that I'm using, I'm I'm really interested in just yeah how how we connect to landscape and how the design of landscapes and and our capacity to be engaged with it either through books or through spaces like cultivated spaces so like garden designs or cityscapes or like how how these these places um, can be kind of I don't know cultivated to make us feel more in connection and more curious about space and and how it impacts us like physically in our, our body I guess mm. um, it's it's not just a intellectual process of knowing a place. It's it's our bodies that know a place. Right. And and I guess that's what I a part of what came through in the book was this sensory engagement, like the the texture of a rock or the, the smell of a rock or, you know, geologists sometimes taste a rock. There's like yeah. this whole way that we engage with knowing yeah. somewhere through yeah. our bodily in a kinesthetic, yeah, kinesthetic. embodied way. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, John yeah and and the placing of ourselves into the experience as well because I think science is amazing about finding out information but it very much takes the self out of the picture but yeah the importance of bringing our own kind of emotional physical bodily response to place and, and talking to that I think. <laughs> I think maybe you might be the fifth person, sixth <laughs> person who's asked me tonight about this. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, I um I've been thinking about it, and it's um I even I have an email list where I'm gathering people's names who are interested in that, and I I just I have to work out like just the technical details of how to how to make it actually happen. I haven't. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <I can't. laughs> Yeah, no, I'm definitely considering it and would yeah be really interested, especially if there's like a group that is already uh, kind of formed and that we can, yeah, there's definitely um, something to do, like something that can be done. And, yeah, just to go on a, a rock ramble with like looking at the geology and then reading poems and just, yeah, the whole mix would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in, in the book, no, I stayed like right on the edge pretty much. Besides in you know, that ways I did a few little trips up to waterfalls but they, the waterfalls were pretty much on the, on the coast as well. I didn't go too far inland but um, there are some amazing caves um, around and the one cave that I found out purely through the crowdfunding Uh, someone came up to me and they're like, oh, do you know about that underground lake? I was like, no, what? There's an underground lake and they used to take tours and take people on boats. And I was amazed that I had no idea about this. And I rang up the Colac Historical Society and they're like, oh yeah, we've got an article here from, you know, (laughs) 19 something, something. And yeah, it was this, Whole lucrative tourism business that started when a farmer found a cave under in his property um, at Ramsden's Ramsden's Cave and just yeah that discovery of new places and just yeah the caves that are around are are worth looking at but I find a bit scary I don't like going so much into into caves I like looking at them from the outside. <laughs> mm. Do you have caves that you would kind of, that you've looked at yourself? I wanted to include some caves actually in the book because I'd locked it into this Great Ocean Road, Torquay to Warnable. I was like, oh, I can't (laughs) go further down and look at these caves. And and I'd heard about this particular formation called moon milk, which is a particular type of limestone kind of, a, a description of how limestone kind of might kind of, I think lay in sheets or something like that. I don't know it completely, but I was so captivated by this description of moon milk. I was like, I want that to be in the book, but it it didn't fit in the um, in that kind of bracket that I'd given myself. But that's a interesting geological term to kind of pop into Google. <laughs>
0: well. Um We are so glad that you did make it safely and successfully to the end of the nine years. A magnificent bit of dedicated research and creative work and scientific work. Um, And I'm so happy. I kept thinking, wouldn't it be hard taking some of those photos with the waves and the steep cliffs and, and... I'm sure there's some stories she might, uh, Philomena might share with you one-to-one <laughs> about dangers. But I'm so glad that you you got there. And um, congratulations on the second print run of um, the glorious Written in Stone. And um, thank you to people in the audience who have read the book already. I feel a bit of a fraud up here. But I've learnt a lot from you as well as Philomena. And... Just um, ask that you all thank her very much for her generous hour of time with us.